Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. When the advertising industry first began, their scheme was to convince us that this product is awesome. It's better than its competitors. Its quality is unmatched. It will make your life easier. Uh, The hope was for you to see the superiority, the quality of whatever it is they were trying to sell you. That is not the strategy any longer. Now advertising is not about products, but brands. And we're told certain products, uh, we need them in order to be our true selves, our authentic selves. So in 2021, the Times of London noticed this and said, No consumer trend defines this decade more than the demand for authenticity. The list of products advertisers have used with this scheme is quite funny. All the products we have been told we need to be our authentic selves include bicycles, backpacks, diet sodas, pillows, sweatpants, it's not a joke, fishing baits, coffee, I kind of agree with that one. Uh, Sour cream, sneakers, and moisturizers. Why, to be the true Tim Spamberg, do I need to use a particular type of moisturizer? This is strange behavior. Uh, What we've been doing over the last several weeks is, is processing an ancient idea in the scripture is sin. An idea that's out of favor with our current culture but is deeply tied into the story of the Bible. And since many things, and we've been processing that together over the last several weeks. But this morning we're going to process a declaration that's at the heart of sin. I am my own, and I belong to myself. No one can define me, because I alone can define my authentic self. And that's why the advertising industry talks brands. They invite us to define ourselves through what we consume. They understand that the modern person believes this. I am my own and I belong to myself. And that sounds freeing. I am my own. I belong to myself. Uh, I'm not so sure it's freedom, though. And so I want to start here this morning. The cost of belonging to yourself. Uh, So the heart of belonging to ourselves is in Genesis 3. It's the passage we've looked at uh, week after week after week. And this morning I'm just going to narrow in on one particular phrase. It's in verse 5. And it's uh, where the serpent's inviting Eve to consider what eating from the tree God said do not eat from will mean for her. And we read this in verse 5 of Genesis 3. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
it's pretty clear that phrase is important in Genesis 3. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what does that mean? To know good and evil. Well, think of it like this. I know that Wrigley Field is the best place in the universe to watch any sporting events. I know this, and others of us know this as well. Now, if you grew up a Southsider, or you're one of the few uh, stragglers from Michigan in here, a Tigers fan, you might incorrectly contest my knowledge. I can't know that. That's my opinion, my choice. And on this occasion, we would have to agree with the Sox or the Tigers fan that's in line with what the Hebrew is saying, that to know good and evil is to choose for yourself what is good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 3 is not about head knowledge, it's about moral choice. I decide what is good. I decide what is evil. No one determines that for me. And that's the invitation that the serpent offers to Adam and Eve. Define who you are for yourself. You are your own. You belong to yourself. Don't let God tell you who you are. So they eat from the tree and they make their declaration. We are our own and we belong to ourselves. And what we should expect next in the text of Genesis 3 is what the advertisements promise us. Freedom. Power. You're better looking. Uh, What do we read happens in Genesis 3? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hide. To belong to yourself is a life of hiding. Uh, And I want to suggest two reasons why. The first Uh, is if you think you belong to yourself, you must hide to control what others see of you. Uh, Now, as much as we like to, or would like to think, no one should tell us how to believe or what to think, research has shown us that actually the opposite continues to take place. Uh, This is the conclusion of author Jennifer Beer in her article, The Inconvenient Truth About Your Authentic Self, in the magazine The Scientific American. Here's what she Uh, says the research has showed us. Research finds that people report feeling most authentic when their behavior conforms to a specific pattern of qualities, namely when they are extroverted, emotionally stable, conscientious, intellectual, and agreeable. That is, we feel most authentic when we act like a cross between the perfect party guest and the perfect co-worker. Here's her point. That we determine our authenticity not internally by ourselves, but by how other people respond to us. We only feel authentic when we are extroverted, conscientious, smart, agreeable, not too emotionally needy. And the question then becomes, well, who chose those values? Who defined for us this is what authenticity is? And what Beer is saying is it's the culture around us, the people around us who tell us what authenticity should be. And then we can form our pattern of living to that authenticity. Her point, we calculate our authenticity based on how others respond to us. Our true selves are what other people are telling us our true selves should be. 
In other words, when it comes to understanding who we are, our identity, we've traded God for the crowd. Our, created, our creator for the creation around us. Instead of liberating us to personal freedom, we have become enslaved to the crowd and convinced that a particular type of moisturizer will make us our true selves. The effects of this, which I would call enslavement to other people, are becoming more obvious by the day. So my second thing to invite you to consider is we hide because we cannot bear the weight of belonging to ourselves. As I've been meditating on Genesis 3, one of the things that struck me fresh in this series is the move from the promise of the serpent, you will be like God, to what actually happens to Adam and Eve. They're hiding behind a tree. The serpent says, take my advice, you'll be like God. And then where do we find Adam and Eve? Cowering behind a tree. And have you ever stumbled upon someone hiding behind a tree? That's weird behavior. Strange behavior. Far from godlike. Gods tend to strut around confidently, not hiding behind trees. And I, I think if you were to, to look at our culture, you'd find a culture not of godlike people strutting around, but of people hiding behind trees. A French sociologist and non-Christian Elaine Ehrenberg highlights this in his book, The Weariness of the Modern Self. What a title. Becoming our authentic selves wears us out. Uh, he's not a Christian, but he looks at our drives to be our authentic self and says, this is wearing us down. We're hiding behind trees, not strutting around <clears throat> in self-confidence. And he points out, 43% of undergraduate students in the 2020s were so depressed they found it difficult to function. 43% of undergraduate college students so depressed they found it difficult to function. 64% of undergraduate students felt overwhelming anxiety. I could go into the rates of antidepressant uses which have skyrocketed at such rates that modern psychology is wrestling with what's happening to us and among us. What is going wrong? And I want to be clear, if you're one of those people, especially if you're a high school or a college student, and you are overwhelmed or facing enormous anxiety or on antidepressants, I'm not, I am not judging you. I'm actually judging the world we are living in. Because I believe that's the only answer to a world who tells you, you are your own and belong to yourself, is anxiety, depression, and crushing pressure. And that's the point of Elaine Ehrenberg's book. Why he writes, emancipation in action... Which is another way of saying, you're below, you're, define your own identity, has stretched individual responsibility beyond our borders and have made us painfully aware that we are only ourselves. I'm only myself. So when I try to be my authentic self, deciding for myself what is good and evil, belonging only to myself, I was never meant to handle that. And all I can do is get behind a tree and hide the far from liberating freedom, this vision of the human life, I am my own and belong to myself, crushes human beings. And it's crushing our high school and college students today. That's the way our culture invites us to live into. And it generally leads to one of two crushing realities. 
The one, what I'm speaking to now, is we just face enormous anxiety to successfully become our authentic self. This is highlighted beautifully in the 1963 novel, The Bell Jar, where the main protagonist was a woman named Esther Greenwood, and she's at the height of her success, a college student with a prestigious summer internship at a woman's magazine in New York City. She reached the pinnacle of where you can be in college. Her future prospects are unlimited, but that's not how she feels. So she says to herself, I was supposed to be having the time of my life, but I felt empty. She does not believe society is delivered on its promises. And so rather than feeling empowered and free to determine her own future, she says in the novel, I wasn't steering anything, not even myself. So there's a moment in the novel where her boss asks the question, what do you plan to do after college? And that question terrifies her and freezes her. She has no idea, no clue. There's so many options. She could go anywhere, live anywhere, do anything. But rather than feeling liberated, she's anxious and afraid. And all this culminates into a a dream she has of a fig tree. And each fig is a possible life-defining decision, a career path, a city to live in, a next step. And they're all attractive, but she cannot imagine saying no to any of them. To choose one fig takes all of the rest off the table, and she can't choose. What if I choose incorrectly? What is the best life? What is the best self? And she's, she's crushed. I cannot imagine being a high school student in this environment. I feel like I graduated at the beginning of this reality. It's why I have so much compassion for those who are in high school or college or those younger among us. And why I hate it when those of us who are older refer to them as snowflakes. Our culture is just a continuation of the Genesis 3 experiment. And the result is always hiding behind a tree. There's enormous anxiety in creating your authentic self. Because you're probably going to mess it up. The other option is, uh, too, even if you do make all the right choices, what you'll find is life does not live up to the promises of creating your own self-fulfillment. Look at the most successful people among us. Do most of our politicians, celebrities, or athletes appear to be healthy, well-adjusted, and compassionate people? The question answers itself. The vision of life that sins invites us to, you you are your own, belong to yourself, destroys people. And they end up behind a tree. So there's another way, and that's the way I want to invite you into this morning. What about belonging to Christ? Trouble is belonging to someone else feels constricting, and it is. To belong to someone else means you have limitations. See, the the freedom of belonging to myself means at least I know I can try to be committed to my own happiness, my own good life. To belong to someone else, to belong to Christ, raises the question, well, can I belong safely to him? To whom can I trust my existence without fear of abuse or harm? So let's let Romans 14 enter the chat. Romans 14, verse 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul writes this. 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Uh, The Catechism put it this way, What is your only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 14 is, is getting, it at, getting at. To belong to Christ means we belong to him both in our life and in our death. So let's unpack both. First, to belong to Christ is to belong to him in life. Why are you here? Why do you have life? One of the most encouraging thoughts that I've ever had, which will sound strange, is uh, I actually I'm not necessary. The world existed and will continue ex- to exist just fine whether I'm here or not. And the same is true of you. Your existence in the world is gratuitous. You are not needed. And I know that can sound dark, but then the question is, well, then why am I here if I'm not needed? And the answer of the Christian faith is because you have a creator who wanted you here. You are someone's. Someone wanted you here. God wanted you here. You're not just some cog in the universe. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And your life is a sign that God desired a universe with you in it. He didn't have to make you. But he did. And that should communicate something to you about how profoundly unique and special he finds you. Because he didn't need you and yet wanted you anyway. So you can belong to him. He's, he's a safe being to which you can belong. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to perform a function, to have a job, to keep the universe running in some way. You are not necessary, and yet you are here. You belong to him in life because he wants you here. To belong to Christ is to belong to him in life. But to belong to Christ, as Paul says, is also to belong to him in death. And if that's true, and, and I'm trying to say it is, then that that would mean there is nowhere in Christ you are not safe, not protected, because he knows the grave, he knows the cross, that what could you endure in life that Jesus does not know the way out of? So if you belong to him in life and in death, then whatever it is you walk through in this life, Jesus himself knows from the inside how to get through. And what that means, and this is going to sound too strong, but I believe this, if you belong to Christ, you cannot ruin your life. You can make dumb decisions and bring a lot of harm into the world. I believe that. But if you belong to Christ, you cannot ruin your life. doesn't mean that we, uh, if we make mistakes, there aren't consequences. But what I believe is, is if Jesus has power over death itself, whatever choices I make in this life, I can belong to someone who has the power to undo death itself and undo the death I introduce into the world through my poor decisions. And so if I choose the wrong job or career path, it's okay. Jesus has the the power to bring redemption to that choice. If I chose the wrong college, it's okay. Jesus has the power to bring redemption to that choice. If you end up in a marriage or a relationship you regret, Jesus has the power to bring redemption to that choice. We don't need to walk around our world anxious that unless I make the right choices, unless I choose the right fig, it's over for me. 
Because I belong to myself. No. I belong to Christ in life and death. I'm not my own. He is, uh, I belong to him, body and soul, life and death. And when we embrace this reality, our true selves are not suffocated. We actually become our true selves. Because we can't ruin ourselves through the poor decisions we inevitably will make. That our creator is personally committed to seeing us become the kind of person he created us to be. And so that's where I want to end, meditating on when we belong to Christ, we become our true selves. See, what I I hope you don't hear in this sermon is what you want doesn't matter. Just submit to a miserable life with Christ. That's not what's happening in Genesis 3. God has given human beings in Genesis 1 and 2 an enormous identity. He told Adam and Eve, have dominion over the whole earth, all the animals, all of creation. God places them in charge of his earthly home, the Garden of Eden. They're to work it and keep it and to spread it out into all the earth. What a vocation. What a calling. It's better than hiding behind a tree belonging to yourself. And so this sermon is not what you want doesn't matter. No, what, I, what I'm trying to say is the culture that tries to conform you into defining yourself apart from God, that actually makes you smaller. It makes you less. It makes you shrink your desires. It puts you behind a tree. The belonging to Christ is a far better life than meticulously choosing what bicycle I will ride on to be my true self. It's better than defining my identity around brands. It's better than defining my identity around my career. It's better than defining my identity around my sexuality. God does not abandon humanity after they decide to belong to themselves. So that's the beauty. He comes along. He invites them back into communion with himself and promises to deliver them from this fate one day. That to belong to Christ is to live into a vision of yourself that is far beyond whatever you could imagine by belonging to yourself. And 1 John 3 is clear on this. To belong to Christ means one day we will be like Christ. This is what 1 John 3 says. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. What will you be like when you are like Jesus? And to belong to Christ doesn't mean you'll be a slightly improved human being. When we belong to Christ, we are not slightly improved. We are redeemed into the image of Christ. So I love the way C.S. Lewis depicts this. Mere improvement is not redemption. Though redemption always improves people, even here and now, and will, in the end, improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became a man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it has got its wings, it will soar over fences which could 
could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. Here's my point. Some of what our culture says to us is true. You were meant to fly. But not by belonging to yourself. By defining your own identity. You were meant to fly by belonging to Christ. And I don't know all the depths of what that means, but I can say this. What it does mean is you and I were meant to be far beyond what we've experienced in this life. That is our destiny. And that both deepens the promises our culture makes and cancels them at the same time. I mean, think this out with me. The the choice of your career, what college you will get into, puts an enormous crushing pressure on us. But if you belong to Christ and your true self is not your career, it's that you belong to Christ. Well, the pressure's off your career. You now don't need a career to define you. But at the same time, this should make you a better coworker or business owner. You're free to take risks others can't take. You're free to love your coworkers because you're not caught up in the game of politics to get to the top. This is beautifully witnessed. You should Google uh, Oklahoma softball. Uh, there was a reporter who asked the girls' softball team, hey, how do you deal with all the pressure of Competing, And their answer was, because it's not real. What matters is I belong to Christ. And that's the answer these softball girls gave. It was powerful. And that's my point this morning. The pressure's off. And yet, you can still perform at a high level. If you belong to Christ, you, that means you don't need a romantic partner to belong to, to be a true person. Which means, should God bless you in that direction, you're free to love that person for them. Not because you need them to be your true self. That never works. Now you're freed up to love them because you're already true in Christ. My point is, Christians, we were meant to fly. In our relationships, our vocations, our giftedness, what God put us on this earth to do. But belonging to ourselves shrinks us into a smaller life. To belong to Christ is to be raised up, given wings, and to do what we could never do on our own. Maybe you hear that and think, oh, okay, so that means all Christians become like Christ. They're copies that we're matching weird white clothing. And um, No. I love the way C.S. Lewis unpacks this again. The more we get what we call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. It's no good trying to be myself without him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surrounding and natural desires. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Lewis explains this by saying, look at all the tyrants of the world. They're all the same. Violence, oppression, harming others. But look at the saints. They're so gloriously different. And you see this with people who devote their lives to Jesus. The people at the elder end of their lives, those who have followed Jesus, how how unique and beautiful they are in their own way. More becoming their true selves. Uh, We saw this reality in our own church community a couple of weeks ago when one of our eldest saints, Wes Berkey, went home to be with Christ. Our pastor, uh, Kevin Earhart, went to see him one last time to pray with him, to be with him. Uh, Kevin, uh, let me share this, but uh, a long time ago, Kevin had asked Wes to be one of his his prayer warriors during a a certain hard season of life for Kevin. Wes, pray for me. Sustain me. If you don't pray, I'm I'm not going to make it. 
And so Kevin went one last time to pray for his prayer warrior as Wes was facing his final days. Uh, But as Kevin was leaving the room, Wes grabbed his hand and said, I'm going to pray for you. And one last time prayed for Kevin as he had prayed so faithfully for so many years. What a beautiful person in life who became larger the older he got, more himself, not less. So maybe you hear all this and thinking, yeah, I want that, um, Tim. Or maybe you're hearing this and thinking, this just feels so overwhelming. I feel so far from that type of life. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Well, that's, that's the good news of belonging to Christ. The answer isn't for you to become better at belonging to yourself with, with Jesus as your religious leader. Doing the work, getting your act together. Now the answer is for you to come back to his table where his body was broken for you, where his blood was shed for you. He knows you're hiding behind a tree. He knows you will never become who you were meant to be without him. So he's looking for you now. He's offered you his hand. And he's safe to belong to because when he comes to us to say, give me your life, we see he has first given his life to us. His body broken, his blood shed. So he's looking for you now. He's offered you his hand, and it's time for us to join him at his table. So that's what we're going to do. If you believe, even imperfectly, that you are not your own and you belong to Christ, we practice communion um, here. So come to the table. Uh, Groups of five to seven, take the bread, dip it into the juice, seat it at the instruction of those serving you. You don't have to be a member of our church. We practice open communion here. But if you don't yet belong to Christ, we still believe he's looking for you, and we want you to invite Take the next few minutes. Hey, God, show yourself to me. I'm, I'm hiding. I'm worn out. Would you meet me here? We believe he will um, by his spirit. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, communion servers can come on down. And then when you're ready, uh, come to his table and uh, claim your belonging to him. Let us pray. Father, I'm, I'm grateful I don't belong to myself. Uh, that I walked into this morning, this day, belonging to you in body and soul, life and death to my God and to my Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. So I need to be gathered at your table to be reminded of that. All the ways I try to be my own, chase my own identity, lead my own ways. God, just just let us put that behind for these few minutes and just come and belong to you at your table where your love was given through your body and blood that we might share in fellowship with you, that you want to belong to us or you want us to belong to you. Uh, you want us to be at your table. So you've done everything to get us there. So now may we become, now may we come uh, and be ministered to by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.